Morning, Chapel Hill. How's the long weekend going? Good? It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's going to be gorgeous today. Hot and sunny. Um, that video just um, sets up the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at for the next few weeks here together. Um, and so I wanted to just introduce it to you that way. Uh, we are, are not going to hand out Bibles today. Um, we're looking today at one verse, one verse at the beginning of that passage. And that verse will be up on the screen and we'll look at some other things together. And there will be places where you can just listen, just listen to the words of God from his word. And uh, we will dive in together. Let's just take a moment now to pray and lift up the, um, the message and ourselves to God here. We pray with me. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. You are a good Father, and you have given many good gifts to us. And one of those gifts that you have given to us is hope. And today I just ask that you would build that hope in us, that you would raise up that hope, that you would lift our eyes to you, to eternity. Father, thank you for all that you've provided for us. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us that, that we can then take and bring back to you um, in the form of our, our tithes and offerings. And Lord, we just ask that what we've brought to you today, um, you would take and you would multiply it and use it for the sake of your kingdom and the work that you're doing in and through this church. Thank you for all uh, the faithful in this church who give in so many different ways, not just financially, but of their time and their talents and, and the way that they invest in the lives of others and the way that they shine your light in their communities. Um, for all of us, Lord, we just ask that today you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us of hope. Um, thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you for the guidance and the life and the, the sustenance that we can get from that, from your word. Thank you for being right here with us. We invite your spirit to just fill this place and speak to us clearly today. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. We talked about adoption. We talked about the fact that we are now sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, heirs to God's kingdom together. What an incredible hope that gave us last week. Don't forget to remind each other of that, especially when it comes to the subject of today's message. As we get into it, you will understand. This morning, I want us to tackle just one verse, as I said, and it's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is a critical verse for every single one of us. Absolutely essential. It's a very encouraging verse. This is what Paul writes as a sort of cornerstone for a thought that he's putting together in this particular passage that we're looking at. This part of the letter that he wrote, it ties in very well with what came before with the verses that we looked at and what's going to come after the verses that we're about to look at. But I don't want to just add this verse on to the previous passage. I don't want to add it on to the next passage. I want it to have its spot. I believe it deserves consideration in the midst of this amazing chapter. And so let's give it some time and let this verse, this one verse this morning, just really honestly sink in. This is the verse that we're going to look at. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 
Paul writes this, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, as I prepared this message, I, I gave myself some ground rules. Let me tell you why. This verse obviously talks about suffering. Paul writes to the church here about suffering. And Paul knew what it meant to suffer. He suffered. He knew about the suffering in the world around him. But Paul considered suffering worth writing about. It was included in his letter. He said quite a bit about it. God considered suffering important enough to include in the Bible through the inspiration of his spirit in the lives of people like Paul. And so my first ground rule as your pastor is this. Um, I will do my very best as I talk about suffering to not downplay suffering. I do not want to downplay suffering. I do not want to belittle it in any way. I'm processing this subject with caution, and you're going to see more of what that means as I go on this morning. I'm looking at suffering more closely than I ever have because it's here in the study that we're doing. And I guarantee you that we're going to come back to this subject. We will in the few weeks to come because Paul continues to write about this. My second ground rule is this. I will do my very best not, <clears throat> not to give simple cliche answers. During some of the hardest times of my life, I have experienced the frustration of being given simple cliche answers by well-meaning brothers and sisters, but simple answers that just didn't produce much more than frustration in me. I'm going to do my best not to give you simple cliche answers when it comes to suffering. Suffering is a complex issue. There's no question about it. It deserves consideration that goes beyond pat answers and superficial compassion. I do not want to throw simple answers at you and assume that you're going to be encouraged by that. The perspective that I will share with you is going to come from the Bible. And if it comes from the Bible and you find it to be simple and patronizing, I want you to learn with me the lessons that I'm learning. The issue may not be with the Bible. It might be with you and me. I've been there. Last week we read this. Paul wrote, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That was verse 17. Paul was writing about our adoption, and he took it in that direction. And as sons and daughters, he says, we share with Jesus in his suffering in order to share with him in his glory. <clears throat> and that ought to clarify some things for us. And then following our verse... After verse 18, Paul continues on with the suffering theme. He brings creation into the picture. And he ties you and me into a much bigger picture than we can get from this one verse. And we'll dig into that next week. But for now, we need to know the context in which this verse was written. It's deep. This is not one isolated verse on persecution. When we studied 1 Peter together... Peter had some words to say to the church about persecution, about what they were facing. And there were some isolated statements that stood on their own about suffering in relation to persecution. 
That's not this. That's not what Paul's doing here. It's one verse in a larger passage that talks about suffering in general, about suffering all over the world, all different forms of suffering that we see and that we experience. Not just one thing. So I have one goal for today's message. It's found in our one verse, and this is my goal, to help convince you of the truth that Paul states in his letter. To help convince you of what Paul is saying. And he's simply saying this, the sufferings of this present time during our life here on earth are not even worth comparing with the glory that is coming for us as sons and daughters of God. Not even worth comparing. Suffering and glory. Comparison not worth making unless, of course, things are out of balance. And I fear that things are out of balance for us far too often. Paul had great perspective, and and I want what what he had, and I think all of us want what he had when it came to his perspective on suffering. What I want to do for the next little while is I want to share some of, of what I'm processing with you. Um, Paul writes about suffering and glory. We're going to start with suffering, and we're going to look at several points that I've been considering when it comes to suffering. And I hope this helps bring these two things back into balance, the suffering and the glory. First of all, the first thing that I've been looking at is simply this. I need to acknowledge the fact that suffering is part of this world's scenery. And I don't say that in a flippant, apathetic way. I don't. That's not just a, one of those pat answers. Well, it's just part of the scenery. I say it because I have to remember that this world is not all that there is. So that's why I have to look at it that way. There's something wrong here, and it's wrong on a massive scale, on a global scale. Suffering's part of the scenery because we live in Satan's kingdom for now. When Satan entered the world, sin entered the world, and this became his kingdom. He's referred to as the ruler of this world. And because of sin, we're living behind enemy lines right now while we wait for the return of Jesus Christ. So naturally, because of who Satan is, suffering is part of the scenery. It should not surprise us when we see it, when we experience it. We're not able to avoid it. It's all around us. Nowhere in God's word are we led to believe that we can or should avoid suffering. It's not even in the book of second hesitations. It's not there. God doesn't say avoid at all costs all types of suffering. Those are not his words. Second point that I've been reminding myself of is this. Suffering was not part of the scenery. It wasn't. It wasn't part of God's creation. What God created was good. There was peace. There was perfection. There was fellowship between man and God. There was provision. There was no suffering. And I've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. Suffering has not always existed. It's not the theme of God's creation. It wasn't something that came with what he created. It came at one point in time, and it will be gone at one point in time, forever. Can I encourage you to do something on a regular basis and schedule this somehow? Put it on your calendar or something like that. Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. 
Go back and remind yourself of what God created. Read that, those beautiful chapters again and just soak it in. This is what God created and he said that it was good. All that he created, he said that it was good. Do it on a regular basis. It will remind you of what was. And that sets up the next point that I've been looking at. And I'll let Scripture speak for itself on this one. This is Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. As, as John was given a picture of what's going to come for us, he wrote this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God blessed us with a, a glimpse of what is yet to come. Revelation 21 gives us a window into the coming kingdom of God. Genesis 1 and 2 help us look back on what God created initially. Great bookends to help us with our perspective on suffering. Don't neglect to go to God's word to find understanding of what's going on in your life and in, in the world all around you. Based on these truths... There's something that I have to keep in mind when it comes to the way I see the people around me and whatever they might be facing. This is the next thing that I'm contemplating. We were created for perfection. That perfection was interrupted for a while but will be restored. But since God created us for the perfection of Eden and beyond, we were not wired to cope with suffering. You and I have no natural defenses for suffering. And I don't mean illness specifically, all kinds of suffering. We aren't wired to handle emotional suffering. We aren't wired to handle relational suffering. We aren't wired to handle any other kind of suffering because we were wired for a kingdom where suffering does not exist. So do not downplay suffering. It hurts. It hurts when we suffer. And whatever you're suffering with right now, I want you to understand I am truly sorry for what you're, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing right now. I know that it hurts. You were not made for this. So I'm not going to belittle your suffering because you, like the rest of us, were not created to experience this. That reality leads me naturally to the next thing that I'm looking at these days. This is a therefore kind of a point. Therefore, since we weren't wired for this, we cannot judge ourselves on how well we handle suffering. And we cannot judge our brother, sister, or neighbor on how they are handling the suffering that they're facing because they also were not wired to manage it. When someone initially reacts to suffering with despair or weakness, why are we so quick to jump on them or worse yet, push them away? Isn't it usually because the way that they're handling their suffering makes us uncomfortable? Yeah. Yet the reality is that they aren't made to handle suffering and we're not made to handle suffering and we're not made to handle the reaction that other people have to their suffering. It's not part of our DNA. 
So when we suffer, when other people suffer, listen. Listen. We've got to remember that we weren't made for this. And we've got to be generous with the grace that we offer each other as we suffer. So keep this in mind. There are no simple answers to suffering. There are no simple answers to suffering. One of our favorite go-to responses to people suffering in God's family is, well, I'm sure God has a purpose for your suffering. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said it? I've said it. And as true as that may be, suffering demands a deeper response than that. There has to be something more that we can offer each other. God works in our suffering, but suffering was never part of his eternal plan for us. Brothers and sisters, let's not speak lightly of suffering. God doesn't. I can't imagine how much it hurts God to see and feel the suffering in this world. His precious creation has been subjected to a curse that has been suffering, and it's been suffering ever since. Imagine what he feels. And so was God's response to the suffering a simple one? Not at all. His response involved the sacrifice of his only son. His response included him turning his back on his son and allowing Jesus to take all of our suffering on himself. Remember that when we share communion in a little while. Remember what he's done. One more bit of reflection on suffering for now. And like I said, I'll cover more in the weeks ahead. But this is also true of suffering. Suffering certainly can result in something positive. It can. We've been shown that pretty clearly. Earlier in the letter to the church in Rome, Paul mentions this himself. Listen to Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul says, amazingly, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Even in the suffering that characterizes this world, God promises to lead us to hope, and he gives us a reason to push through the suffering. And that is not a trivial comfort. That's a promise that is guaranteed to be upheld by our Father. I'm my own witness to this. I look back on my life. I look at the times when I have suffered, the times when I've gone through individually some very difficult times like depression, um, times when our family has gone through difficult times, illness and, and having to leave a career and all these different things that have happened to us. I look back on those times and I can honestly say that I am better for them. I couldn't say that at one point for sure, but I can honestly say now that God has faithfully used those times to develop my character, and that development of my character has led me to hope. And that's where he wants me to be. That's where Paul wants us to be in this one short verse that we're looking at this morning. He wants to lead us to hope. 
I'm so grateful that my Father can always be found, even in the suffering. And His love for me does not diminish there. It doesn't go away there. It's there, and He's there, and He leads me through that to hope. I think it's important that we understand suffering to the best of our ability. It's hard to experience. It's hard to accept. It's hard to explain. It's hard to watch in someone else's life, especially someone that we love. But Paul's leading us beyond just understanding and accepting suffering. He's very clearly putting suffering in perspective for us. Paul's not brushing off suffering. He's simply comparing it to our redemption. He's comparing it to the glory that awaits you and me. Let's join him in that. And he says that the suffering we face in this world is not even worth comparing with the glory that we will experience when Jesus returns. And I understand the irony here. I feel a little bit bad about having spent this time comparing suffering to the glory because he said it's not worth it. But I fear that we have allowed the suffering of this age to be given too much value. It can't be belittled, but it can be devalued. And we need to devalue suffering. Suffering seems larger than it should to us sometimes. It's not small and insignificant, but it is temporary enough that we can put it in its place. So how big is your picture of the glory that's to come? How big is your picture of the glory that Paul's talking about? Is it big enough to keep your suffering in perspective? Or can you only see the suffering of this age because you can only see this age? Over and over in the Bible, we're encouraged to keep our eyes and our minds on the eternal. And once again, that's not merely a command. It's an invitation to a blessing, which God does over and over. God is inviting us here to experience what Paul did, to put our suffering in perspective. So fill your mind with eternal thoughts. Fix your eyes on your eternal Father. Allow his light to flood into the darkness of suffering that we experience now, but only for now. And please know this. Please know that glory is not merely the absence of suffering. That's not all it is. The garden that God created and gave to his creation was not simply an existence that was void of suffering. Adam and Eve didn't even know what it was when they were first created There were blessings there beyond description. God was there in person, face to face. Adam and Eve had more than we can imagine. And one day soon, all of that is going to be restored for you and me. Think big when it comes to God's future for you. Never let yourself consider glory as merely an equal but opposite reality to suffering. The two are not even worth comparing. I want to close this message with another person in the Bible who saw what Paul saw and then more beyond. Jesus himself set glory before him and would never have considered suffering worth comparing with glory either. This is the picture that we have of his focus on glory. 
from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The author writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, there are many who have gone before us. Many, many who are now experiencing that glory. That's our cloud of witnesses. Paul was one of them. He's part of that cloud of witnesses for us. And we have the example of one in Jesus who came and experienced the suffering that his creation experiences. And Jesus kept the glory that Paul wrote of in his sights right in front of him. That was his motivation. That was his joy. And he is the one who shapes our faith. He's the one who lived it out so that we could follow it. And by shaping it, he's transforming our faith to match his faith. And he put glory in front of him. That was his joy. That's what motivated him. That's what kept him going He's the one beyond just that. He is also the one who came as the remedy for suffering. Jesus took the suffering of the world on himself so that suffering could one day be done away with forever. Let's remember that as we share communion this morning. He has prepared glory for us. He will return to restore that glory to the earth. Things will be the way that they were meant to be. What will be far outshines what is. The two are not even worth comparing, Paul says. As you come for communion, I want you to see the elements that you receive this morning as a gateway to glory. The glory that awaits came with a price. And this morning we're going to be grateful together for the price that was paid so that we could experience that glory. Brothers and sisters, are you suffering this morning? Is someone around you, someone that you know suffering? It does come with the territory. It is part of this life. But that suffering cannot compare in the least with the glory that's coming for you and me. Paul's trying to help us see that, to see the glory, to set our minds as he did fully on the glory that's to come.